Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. This is a, a weekend that I've been looking forward to for over three months. Uh, we knew that we were headed to Rwanda to join Arlene and International Reconciliation Ministries, which she founded a few years ago. Uh, once again, to return to the prisons of Rwanda to share the gospel. So I've been really looking forward to this and uh, to lay sort of a biblical foundation for why we're taking time to do this. I want us to look at a scripture, first of all, from Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. And in that passage, we see a description of the first missionary journey that was formally endorsed by the church. And so this is what it says. As the church in Antioch ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed they lay, and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You did that for this group five months ago. You prayed for us publicly in, this, in these services and commissioned us to go to the nation of Rwanda in eastern Africa to share the gospel with the people there. When Paul went on his missionary journeys, if you follow a map in the back of your Bible, you'll notice that he always returned back to the place that sent him out. And this is what it says in Acts 14, 23, or 27 and 28. It says, when they returned, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done with them. It's really important that we do that, not only for us to be accountable back to you for the work that was done and the funds that were invested, but also for you to be encouraged in your faith, to understand that God is still working in powerful ways. People have asked me over the last summer, two or three months, so Pastor Al, how was Rwanda? What was it like? My simple answer every time has been this. We were living in the book of Acts. We were seeing God do incredible miracles daily. And we were walking in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in ways that all of us have never experienced before in quite this way. So it was an incredible, incredible time. But I have to say that when I've heard these reports from Arlene in the past, maybe you're a bit like me. You hear Rwanda, and you might be challenged to even find the country on a map. It's very small, probably half the size of Oregon. And this country went through something very, very tragic, something very traumatic in 1994. And I, I never could really wrap my mind around what Arlene was going to when she went to Rwanda, and especially to minister in the prisons there. And so what we've done tonight is before we have each of these share their testimonies, each from a different perspective of what God accomplished on our three-week mission trip, four weeks for uh, Arlene, what we've wanting to do is give you a brief documentary historical background to the people and the country, their history, so you can appreciate the mission field God sent us to. Now, I'm going to follow a pattern tonight that if you watch the evening news, the news anchors usually tell us before they show footage of Afghanistan, the war there, or the famine in Somalia, before they ever show any of that footage, they warn the viewing audience saying that some of the images you're about to see may be disturbing. 
And so I need to be faithful to you and sensitive to you and say the same thing. Some of the images you're about to see will be very disturbing. Probably nothing more disturbing than what you would see on the evening news. I have censored as much as possible so that it would not be overly offensive. However, I do need to say that what actually happened in the nation of Rwanda is probably a thousand times worse than what you're about to witness. And so if we could have the lights and just ask you to direct your attention to the screens. Small East African country of Rwanda. 800,000 people were slaughtered by their own government. This was ordinary men, women, and children, and the only reason that they were killed was because they were Tutsi. The tragedy unfolding in the Central African nation of Rwanda keeps getting worse. UN Secretary General Boutrous Ghali said today there is strong evidence that both sides in the vicious civil war are preparing new massacres of civilians. And he called for the use of force, large numbers of UN troops to stop the slaughter. Terrified Rwandans are fleeing in every direction, to Zaire in the west, Uganda in the north, and Tanzania in the east. Here's ABC's John McWethy. UN officials say they have never seen anything like it. In just the last 24 hours, more than a quarter of a million people have fled Rwanda and its terror. Lines at some border crossings stretch for five miles. With the people have come more horrible stories about what is happening in the homeland they are fleeing. The six-year-old boy and his 13-year-old sister are all that is left of their family. He escaped, he said, after government soldiers tried to cut his head off with machetes. Others in his village church did not get away. Official estimates of the dead in Rwanda in just the last three weeks range from 100,000 to half a million. Most casualties are being inflicted by government troops and their allied militias as they systematically slaughter civilians in an apparent attempt to exterminate Rwanda's 700,000 minority population from the Tutsi tribe.
think one of the most shocking things about this genocide was uh, the sheer scale and speed of the killing. I was in one town, uh, Kibuye, which is in the far west of the country, and um, shortly after, shortly before I got there, there had been a massacre in the church in which 10,000 people were murdered in the church in a single day, and the following day, another 10,000 were murdered in the uh, in the town stadium. And all of this was overseen by the regional governor, a man called Clement Kaishima. Um, and the, the accounts of the few survivors are of the absolute brutality of those massacres, of people who've gone to church, been lured to the church, really, uh, by the Hutu leadership, promising them uh, sanctuary. That one woman I, I spoke to, when she was confronted with a man with a very large club, begged to be killed because at least it was a quick way of dying. Uh, and this occurred across the country in churches, in, in, uh, in, in, in government buildings, Difficult images to absorb, but that's the mission field God called Arlene to many years ago and called us to serve again this year. At the end of that, that documentary, you noticed, as you see here, the picture of a prison. In Rwanda, there are a couple of different kinds of prison systems, different kinds of prisons where these People who were perpetrators of the genocide, these killers, were arrested and imprisoned. Over 100,000 were actually arrested and then put in these various prisons. Typically in Rwanda, the prisons that you see here, very high walls. They house anywhere from 3,500 to around 7,500 prisoners. Most of these have yet to have a trial. 90% of the folks in these prison facilities are killers, they're murderers. What may be a bit surprising is to learn that not only are these prisons filled with men, but there are also many women in these same prisons who participated in the killing of their neighbors, their neighbors' children. And even more shocking to me was to learn that when we went to these various prisons that some of the prisoners were pastors who actually participated as well or later became pastors and had killed people during the genocide. These, uh, these particular facilities are extremely difficult living conditions. Uh, prisoners are housed in barrack-like conditions, and they get one meal a day consisting of corn and beans and a sorghum drink. It's a nutritious drink. It's the same food every day for the rest of their lives. So to say that these folks are really without hope 
that they're at the end of their rope would be an understatement. And so when we come into a place like this, it's overwhelming when they hear a message that offers them hope and forgiveness and salvation. There is another kind of prison system, and this is so interesting. Uh, many of you probably aren't aware of how Arlene got involved in these prisons in the first place. She was actually going to Rwanda, doing sewing with women, teaching them how to sew. And one day, as she was passing out tracks, she ran across a work party of these prisoners with the pink uniforms that we just saw. And it was through that chance encounter, what I call divine appointment, Arlene caught the vision for going into these prisons and preaching the gospel with those who are participants in the genocide. Last year, Arlene had another chance encounter, another divine appointment with what are called blue shirt prisoners. These caught her attention. They had different kind of uniforms. And so she asked, well, who are these people? The blue shirt prisoners are those who were formerly in the major prisons, but they decided to confess to their crimes, admit who they had killed, go back to the villages where that it had happened, and ask forgiveness of those relatives who survived, ask them to forgive them for what they did. And if they were willing to do that, their sentences would be then reduced and they would be moved out of the major prisons into smaller camps, very, very rustic camps, where they would finish out their reduced sentence at hard labor. This is an example of one, tarp roofs, brick, mud brick buildings. They must build their own accommodations, very crude, very primitive. And so typically a prisoner, uh, they don't have walls, they don't have cells because they have a strong incentive to finish out their ter term of service and then be released back into society. So this is the common kitchen. These guys get two meals a day because they're put to hard labor and that's probably a 60-gallon drum that is cooked the same meal that every other prisoner gets in the country. Corn, beans, and it's a kind of mush and they're served that every day, twice a day. And they're out there building roads. They're doing things in the very communities where they committed the crimes as a way of making restitution. I was constantly shocked in Rwanda to, to discover how much their system of healing their nation is biblically based. They use terms like forgiveness, confession, repentance, restitution, reconciliation. This is the language that they use. And so when Arlene and the team come into these places, they're thrilled to have us. And as Arlene says, we are working with the government to heal a country. But we also say it's important for them to have their heart right with God before they can ever get right with their fellow man. So these, these prison facilities, they're really not prisons, they're camps. And these guys finish out their term five to six years typically, and then they are released. These blue shirt camps are also called TIG camps. It's an abbreviation uh, for a word that in Rwandan can't be pronounced by us Americans. But anyway, here you get to see one of these blue shirt prisoners, the kind of meal that they have, that's it. These are their sleeping quarters, which is amazing that we are allowed to take these kind of pictures. And the next one shows similar accommodations. They're just made out of sticks that they gather from the local uh, alder patch and they build their bunks out of this. And that's where they sleep. If you see an empty bunk, it means someone who was sleeping there has been released back into society. When we arrived in Rwanda, we were shocked. The first 
day or so when we arrived because we made a discovery. Actually, the discovery happened a couple of weeks before we arrived. Arlene submitted a request to enter six of these major prison facilities. And she was only permitted, our team was only permitted to enter four. And so when we arrived in Rwanda, we were a bit stunned by that revelation because it meant that our first week of our three-week mission trip, we had no prisons to go into. And we were really thinking, oh no, what are we going to do for this first week? So as a team, we met, we prayed, and decided the only thing to do would be to in local Rwandan language, storm the office of the Commissioner General of Prisons. So we gathered together as a team. We went to this government building, four-story building. We marched up to the uh, Commissioner General's office to ask why we couldn't get into these other two prisons and to petition to get in. The Commissioner General seemed to be always busy and not able to meet with us. So we met with the Deputy Director, Arlene shared with, with him our, why we were there, what we do. He listened politely, walked out, went down to another office and took one of our team members with him and privately said, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but we just received an order from the Department of Internal Security. And that department would be like our FBI. And this order said that effective immediately, no evangelism was to occur in any prison in Rwanda. And so now we looked at each other and we're thinking, okay, we've come 10,000 miles and we get to do nothing for three weeks. And so there was this moment of panic, but then our team member shared with us a Rwandan pastor. He said, but the deputy director said this. He said, because you're involved in training spiritual leaders in those prisons you're an exception. You can go back into these prisons. And by the way, you can share your evangelistic campaign and do your crusades because that's a part of your spiritual leadership training. So we were glad to have four prisons at that point. So this is the director over all of the major facilities, the big prison facilities. But from there, we went from the fourth floor down to the third floor and walked in unannounced to the director, the supervisor of the TIG, or Blue Shirt Camps. And we just unannounced said, hey, here we are. Can we meet you and talk with you? And so four of us of the team were given an audience. We were allowed to go in and sit and talk, and it was me and Roger and, and Arlene. And, and we sat there and we, we listened, you know, we talked, and Arlene shared the vision of IRM and what we were doing and why... Uh, why we're there, and all of her previous entrances into prisons. And he's politely listening very intently, and he, he had this pensive look on his face. I remember this, and he said, you know, that's really a good idea. In fact, I think not only should you go into these TIG camps and share the gospel, but I think the guard should be there too and hear, hear what you have to say. So how many would you like to go into? How many, how many of these camps would you like to go into to share the gospel? And we kind of looked at each other and said, well, how many do you have? And he said, well, we used to have well over 116. And about that point, you know, we sort of went, oh, my goodness. But now we're down to 49. So how many would you like to go into? I can sign the papers today. And uh, Arlene is kind of, I think she went gulp. Now what do I do? I, on the spot, I have to decide. What are we going to do? And so she came up with four. We can fit in four into our schedule. 
God closed one door. He opened 49 others. And it was an absolute miracle. We left that place absolutely rejoicing. And this picture that you see here, not only did this fellow welcome us, but he said, I'm a born-again Christian too. And uh, we gave him a Bible. And we said, could we take a picture? And so this is the picture of the group. This is, this is an unparalleled, unprecedented thing that happened. I've been talking about this group without introducing them. You pr- I think most of you know Arlene Tatum, the founder director of International Recogni- Reconciliation Ministries. <clears throat> Arlene, uh, by the way, just so you know, IRM is a ministry of New Life Foursquare Church. So Pastor Dave Kelly and myself, we kind of try to keep track of her and try to help coach her through this amazing thing that God has done. Then Lavenna Flaherty, you know, is Pastor Sam's wife. My wife, Kathy. Steve Van Buren. We got him hiding under the palm tree there. One of our team members couldn't be here tonight, and that's Roger Stevens. I'll have more to say about Roger in a little bit, but Roger uh, is at home t- taking care of his wife who had knee surgery last week, and so uh, anyway, our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. So uh, this, this is just where we're getting started tonight, and so I'd like to turn it over at this point to uh, Arlene to have her talk a little bit more about these TIG camps. So Arlene? Good evening. I would uh, like to introduce to you a few of our IRM uh, Rwanda partners who serve as translators, coordinators, and staff members. This is Alfred and Blessing Mapinzi. Alfred is the IRM Rwanda vice president and legal representative. Alfred, Blessing, and the children are also my family, as Alfred is my adopted son. But Alfred also acts as the operations supervisor there, and he handles all of the logistics for the team while we're there and does the initial planning along with me. Pastor Peter and Mercury Deali oversee all of the ministry that takes place at the IRM office that we now have in in an unchurched area of the capital city. Pastor Peter and Ruth Dikumana are from our sister Foursquare Church, and Pastor Peter is also a member of the IRM core team. We have a number of other pastors and chaplains that return to the areas where we have done ministry to do follow-up and disciple those who have believed. But when we think about the IRM office, that office is kept open by Pastor Peter and Mercury Diali. And they keep it open every day and some nights, all night long, as a prayer center. But there are also some additional ministries that take place out of that office every day of the week, including village evangelism and discipleship, spiritual warfare, deliverance and healing, reconciliation of relationships, and care of HIV-AIDS victims. But going to the TIG, the four TIG camps were new God-given opportunities for sure. 
and all of the coordinators and assistant coordinators were so gracious and giving us a tour of the camps. It really would be unheard of uh, for us to be able to do that. The prisoners were eating their dinner and we were taken into the women's barracks to actually meet the women and then into the much larger men's barracks. It was a huge opportunity not only to go in, but for them to allow us to take photos. But then the singing was the signal to make our way to the meeting area for the crusade. And it was amazing that after such a long day of building roads with shovels and hose and doing other hard manual labor jobs, these prisoners were still able to welcome us with such singing and dancing. We want to show you a clip of what that looked like to us. What a great welcome. That day I shared my testimony and the message on making choices out of fear that the Holy Spirit had given me. And I stress that receiving God's free gift of salvation according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 was very different from having head knowledge about Jesus. The work that the Holy Spirit did in the hearts of those prisoners as well as the prisoners of the other three camps was evident as almost all who attended our crusades there came to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, including some of the spiritual leaders. And at the end of one crusade, a, a coordinator addressed those present, stating that he too had been impacted by what he had heard. Now only the Holy Spirit could cause someone of his authority and position to be so transparent with the inmates. Then at the end of each crusade, the team handed out Bibles, and both men and women prisoners responded with smiles, tears, and some in very good English said, thank you. But you could see that the Bibles made an, an impact on each one as they began to sing and dance, giving God praise for that most precious gift it really is a wonderful sight, watching them clutch their Bibles over their heads and celebrating with such joy. It is a sight that I will cherish no matter how many times I am privileged to see it. Because of your generous giving, there were enough Bibles for all of the TIG prisoners that we ministered to. Thank you. I'm LaVena, that's Steve, one of our uh, members, and he actually really helped me wake up to the miracles that I saw in Rwanda, because I was almost tempted to miss some of the stuff, and almost miss going because of my fear. So I wanted to let, I want to let you know that um, when God first asked me to go to Rwanda, 
Um, I was a little bit scared. I should say a lot scared. (laughs) And I prayed about it. I said it before the Lord several times. And it just kept getting confirmed that I was supposed to go. And it was a really hard thing for me because I had been um, separated from my children before. And I actually have lost a child. And so to go halfway across the world and place my family in the Lord's hands where I couldn't see them or know what was happening to them. And then I didn't know if I was coming back and all those questions that go in your mind. So there we are in the airport. And I said yes to God, and I'm so glad that I did. Um, One of the first things that uh, we did was go to the IRM office. And so we got to see some of the stuff that's happening there in the ministry in Rwanda. We also went to minister to some HIV positive ladies. And that was something that was so neat that God did um, because God had me ask them for forgiveness. Because as a nurse, uh, one of the things that losing my own child taught me was there's pain and suffering in this world, but God can do amazing things with it. And I saw that again in their lives. And so we had something in common. And I asked them to forgive me for any kind of judgment and others that had judged them in the past because I had learned that it's not necessarily from our sin or, you know, there's so many reasons that we can have pain and suffering, but I could truly love them and understand. So that was really, really neat. And I had felt inadequate prior to going. And one of the things I saw God do was not only give me a love for them, but he just equipped me. Um, And when it wasn't me, he equipped other people on the team. And when it wasn't us, he equipped people to sew things, to send with us, and, and buy scarves to send with us. And so whatever we needed that we didn't even necessarily know we were going to need somehow was there on time. And, um... God's faithfulness just showed up. Uh, He's so amazing. Um, One of the things that I got to do while I was there was speak. And that has been hard for me at times. But um, this is Esther, one of our translators. And she was so faithful to ask me questions and help me. And at first, I wasn't sure if I was going to be used to having someone translate for me. But it actually gave me time to hear from the Holy Spirit because they're translating. I say something and it gives me a moment. So it was God's grace to me, you know, so that I could really hear from the Lord what I was supposed to say next. And that was really cool. One of the things I got to um, experience while I was there was their culture, the Rwandan culture. And this blessing was actually really a blessing to me. She lived up to her name. She would teach me things like how to say hello, you say marajo, and things about their family and what a house mother was, and um, that we're called mzungu because we're white people. And (laughs) it was really neat getting to know um, the family of God there. I'm really starting to understand some of those old hymns that call us a family of God because you can go halfway across the world and find people to love and that you have things in common with. Um, On this next slide, you'll see a picture of Pastor Peter's wife, and she actually is a genocide survivor. And um, she witnessed so much pain. She witnessed the murder of her husband, 
her children, and she was even shot seven times and thrown in a ditch, left for dead. And now she's using that pain. She's using um, what Satan had meant for evil, for good, and ministering to HIV-positive women and the church and the, the place that they've set up there for ministry is just, you can feel the Holy Spirit when you walk in. So it's really cool. Um, one thing that stretched me that was really fun was we got to go out and hand out tracts. And if you've ever done that in, in the United States, it's a little bit nerve-wracking because a lot of times people will give you a wide berth and walk on the other side of the street and nah, 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 nah. I'm not really into that, or are you Jesus freak? And I'm, yeah, actually I am. But what was so cool when we went to Rwanda, they went, they came up and asked you for a track. So they didn't give you a wide berth. They're like walking up to you. And if you just stepped out of the car and handed one person a track, you'd have a crowd of 20 people in five minutes. So their hunger for the Lord is just, it's amazing. And the pain that they suffered um, now has opened a door for God's amazingness to show. And, and they really are seeking hope. And that they're finding out that in the Lord is so cool. One of the things also when we were traveling um, th- that I noticed was there was many other missionaries on the plane with us. Because God is sending forth harvesters because the harvest is ripe there. And that was so cool to see. We did um, several ministries in the villages. And um, it was so neat to watch Arlene because her whole face just lights up. Where I was kind of pensive and was thinking, oh, like, what's going to happen when we start doing this? She was hopping out of the the van, going to the people. and, And that really was infectious, the love that she had for them. Um, one of the places that I got to tell my testimony was in the TIG camp. And um, at first I was nervous when we were walking in because, you know, you're walking into a place where people have committed um, murder and um, things that scare me. <laughs> and yet God, God was evident in that place. And he equipped us. I don't know how my testimony related, but just, you know, the little bit of pain that I have gone through in my life, the little bit of knowledge that he's taught me, I was somehow able to speak about that there, and God used his Holy Spirit to make it have meaning, and it didn't return void. I mean, there was fruit that was produced. Um, last but not least, one of the, my favorite things was ministering to the kids, and um, they would just love to come and get the tracks and w- walk up to you and wanted a hug and wanted you to take their picture. And some of them wanted you to take them home. And um, I eventually talked the team into letting me stop at a store and get some little pieces of candy to ha- hand out with the tracks too. But they were so easy to love. And they were so loving to us and accepting of us. And I think my biggest wow, <laughs> as Steve would call it, was to see how faithful God was because I felt so under-equipped. I felt so fearful when I first thought about going, and yet I had enough faith and enough strength just to say yes, and he provided everything I needed when I was there. So God's cool.
Wow. Yeah, we were saying wow a lot. In fact, Kathy just started writing them all down. She had over three pages of wow things that God did in three weeks. And uh, uh, it was an amazing. Now, these, this picture here, I love this. This is a picture of what I call the three amigos. Yeah, there they are. This is an airport moment. And as you can tell, we're just really thrilled about our 35-hour flight to Rwanda. <laughs> Coffee in hand. Yes, that's all we were doing is propping ourselves up. You know, one of the things that Pastor Dave and I asked Arlene three or four years ago when she would come home and give us these incredible reports about what was happening in the Rwandan prisons, the first question we asked her is, Arlene, how are we going to disciple these new believers? It's one thing to lead somebody to Christ. How do you help them grow in their faith in Christ? Roger Stevens was the answer to our prayer. Last year, Pastor Roger uh, who is an experienced missionary, done prison work in Mexico, been in China, around the world doing missions for many, many years, personal friend of Arlene. He, he stepped forward and volunteered and said, you know, I'd love to disciple the spiritual leaders in these prisons and TIG camps, which we didn't even know we were going to get into. So last year he went with Arlene and he established a leadership training program, a spiritual leadership pr training program where we would do a three-day intensive with the pastors who were incarcerated in these major prison facilities. Now, keep in mind, I know this is hard to understand, but in a prison of 7,000 prisoners, there might be two or 300 pastors that are in prison and from t eight to 11 different denominations. When we gathered, we had groups, we limited the group size to the 70 most prominent spiritual leaders, and we'd gather them together for a three-day intensive and teach them the Word of God, principles of leadership, and how to share the gospel with their fellow prisoners. These leaders were from the Presbyterians, the Baptist, Seventh-day Adventist, Catholic, Pentecostal, and it was a wide range of different denominations that were represented in those prison facilities. So we would select the group. The group was chosen to gather together to meet with us and hear the teachings that we would provide. Roger was also out on the streets, of course, with us doing street evangelism everywhere we went. But the exciting part for me and for Steve is that after Arlene's crusades, after we would go into these major prison facilities, and she would speak to two, three, four, five thousand, sometimes even seven thousand prisoners at one time after the crusade and many came to Christ. The next three days we would meet with those spiritual leaders. Now I'm going to ask you to try to imagine this if you would. Is imagine this center section of the auditorium. You had 70 spiritual leaders from all of these different denominations sitting there. And we were demonstrating the gospel of grace, what it meant to be saved, in fact, in one setting, I went through the entire Bible, this should surprise you, from Genesis to Revelation, explaining God's plan of redemption in an hour and a half. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, I had, no pun intended, I had a captive audience. Man, it was wonderful. I, I was even considering staying, but anyway, it, it, it just, it was wonderful. But we, you know, we would meet with these guys we would, we would do skits and dramas trying to demonstrate Jesus' leadership example. 
share with them some real practical ways of how they could share the gospel. We gave them a Bible at the end of the time. We gave them study materials. And we also had a graduation ceremony at the end of those three days to give them a certificate of completion. And these guys were absolutely thrilled. And they showed up every day. And here's the other thing. If you can imagine these 70 leaders right here in the front, front section, imagine that the walls around the sanctuary only go up about three or four feet. And hundreds of other prisoners are hanging over the wall listening the whole time to what you were teaching these guys. And at the end of some of these leadership seminars we were having in these major prisons, the Holy Spirit just prompted me, says, give an invitation. And I'm thinking, these guys should already be saved. So I'd ask the question, do you need to receive Jesus after the things you've heard, after the testimony that Steve shared, Roger shared, I shared, with the teachings we gave? At the end of the time, I'd say, do you need Jesus? Some of the spiritual leaders were raising their hands. The guys hanging around the wall, they're raising their hands. And then in one prison, we had a row of guards that the warden said, you be there for those training sessions. I want you to hear what they have to say. Some of the guards raised their hands. It was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. So Roger started this last year. He got this going. He got this started. Not only did we do this three-day training in some new prisons, but we also went back to some of the prisons where he had discipled these leaders last year to do a one-day intensive follow-up. And that was a real precious time to reconnect with these guys, to encourage them to continue to preach the gospel. And we're hearing reports now that Bible studies are happening in these prisons. Prisoners are leading other prisoners to the Lord. We're starting to see multiplication. Discipleship is happening. And these guys... As you look at them, they're, they're students in a class. Some of these are seminary trained. And boy, did they ask me some questions during the Q&A time. Things like, explain the Trinity to us. Oh, that was special. Yeah, or, well, I won't go to some of the other ones. But I mean, these, I felt like Jesus must have felt when the lawyers came to test him. And believe me, that was what some of it was about. But these guys, they got a tie. They got graduation certificates. They got Bibles. And this was a real boost to them. And so we want to share with you that it's not just about hearing souls being saved. It's about making disciples, helping them to grow and multiply in their faith. Kathy, there's another wow. We, that should be a wow coming up, I think. You ready? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's, that works. While the men's team was doing the leadership training, the women's team got to go into the separate section of the prisons that were where the women prisoners were housed. And we usually had between 100 to 350 women, depending upon the prison, and they would be gathered in an open courtyard where our ministry time would take place. I want to make sure that you know that... Um, you see the women's team here, Lavena, Arlene, and myself. But a vital, crucial member was Blessing, our Rwandan friend. She had the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was so powerful that as we were speaking, you could tell she was not only speaking the words correctly, but the heart of God that he was trying to communicate to these people. And I just want to honor the Lord for the gift that he gave us in her. 
The women prisoners would welcome us as well as you saw the men in their singing and dancing. In fact, we usually had to interrupt them, you know, it's time for ministry because they were so exuberant and so enthusiastic. Depending upon the prison, we did a combination. It would just be led by the Holy Spirit. We never had a, well, we had a plan, but we usually had to go in and go, okay, Lord, you know, what, what now? What here? And it was a combination of evangelism. Many of the women weren't able to attend the crusades, and so Arlene would share her um, message, and hundreds, hundreds became saved. But the main part that I was involved in was Bible teaching. And uh, we spent time ministering to the women, trying to disciple them. And in response to that, hundreds responded to uh, the need for inner healing and the wounds that they'd experienced to be healed, forgiving those that had wounded them. It was very powerful. We shared our testimonies. We did object lessons. And then every time um, we were finishing up in a prison, we would hand out Bibles. We would hand out scarves. We would hand out tracts written in the Rwandan language that used the scriptures that we had just taught on. Two prisons that I would like to focus on and just share specifically. At the Batari prison, we had the privilege of being there for two days. The first day we ended, like I said, handing out Bibles. The second day that we went to minister, there was something that, several things that took place that are part of my wow moments. As we were approaching the inner section of the prison that was for the women, there were holes in the walls that they have, kind of windows, and the women saw us coming. And because they had, we had been with them one day, they knew who we were and knew what was coming. So you could hear them excitedly chattering in, in there as we were waving, you know, they, they would wave to us. Well, by the time we got to the door and stepped into the women's prison, all I saw were the backs of women running. I'm not kidding, running to get a seat. They were so excited, so in anticipation. They were hungry for the word. They were hungry for the ministry, and they wanted to be there. As we were setting ourselves up that second day, the overseer of the prison, Mary was her name, she shared with us, she said, remember when you guys left, she didn't say you guys, remember when you left the uh, first day and you left the Bible? She said, that evening I went into the women's section just to check up on them and see how they were doing. And she said, as I approached you, I realized, boy, it's really quiet in there. I wonder what's going on. Because normally the women are talking, chatting, visiting with each other. And she walked in there. And she saw the women, each with their personal Bible, open and reading. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. As I started teaching that day, I got to the place where I read my first scripture, and Blessing was going to translate that. And she went to get her Rwandan Bible, and we couldn't, I mean, it was one of those moments, where is it? And within probably 30 seconds... This was a Holy Spirit thing. One of the prisoners stood up with their Bible, had found the scripture, and spoke it to her fellow prisoners. It was the most powerful experience. And to be honest, I was stunned. It was just like, that's not supposed to happen. You know, it was just so spontaneous of the Lord to do that. So when I got to the next scripture, I paused and I looked around. Another woman stood up, 
held up her Bible, and she read the scripture to her fellow prisoners. In that moment, in that time, the whole um, atmosphere of that ministry time shifted. No, long, no longer were they passive, observant bystanders. They had just stepped in and taken ownership. They had just stepped in and actively involved in the ministry. It was, an, for myself, one of the things that it ministered to me was hope. You can't know the hunger and you can't know the need unless you've been there. And to see it and then know you're going to get on the plane and walk away was very, very hard. But when I saw that, the Lord spoke to me. He said, it's covered. They're going to go on. The seeds that you've sown from the truth of the word of God it's going to be watered, and it's going to bear fruit. And I've already raised up women that are going to take that responsibility. It was very powerful. The last prison that we went to was Cinda Prison. And as I started teaching, I have to tell you, I could, like right now, I could hardly keep myself from crying. I could hardly talk. It was very difficult. And I was just, I was so overwhelmed with the love of the Lord for these women. And I know that, as you saw the video clip on the genocide, it's hard to see. It's hard to look at. But I also see we were there firsthand. Emotionally, it's devastating. Mentally, it's incomprehensible what took place. But sometimes we are so distanced from the devastation and the depravity of man we're so insulated from it. We don't realize the full impact of that. And we don't realize that potential is in me as well. But in that moment of teaching and the emotion that the Lord showed me, he said, you know, in light of the depravity, the devastation of what you have seen, contrasted with the incredible love God had for these women, it was overwhelming. I could hardly keep from crying was very humbling. Thank you for your prayers and your support. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of being given this life-changing opportunity. There is fruit in Rwanda that remains because of it. Wow. Lavanna did this to me. Bless your heart. Uh, they conned me into this deal, and I'm going, I can't believe I'm doing this. This, this first slide that we're going to take a look at, this is an epitome of the beginning of this in my life, is uh, Pastor Nell and I are looking at one another, and I can guarantee you both of us were saying at the same time, just who is this guy? And I found out that he's a good friend a good friend. We had a great time. Um, what I'm going to share is a little bit about the country. Uh, my fascination was with the land, etc. It's called the land of a thousand hills, and it is unquestionably a land of a thousand hills. Hill after hill after hill. Uh, we went up some uh, tremendous, beautiful, lush areas, heavily uh, agricultural use, corn, Sogram, sugarcane, 
um, my goodness, bananas, peanuts, rice, uh, which most of that's what we ate um, every night. <laughs> um, well, it, that land, though, is, is we began to look, and I, and I watched the hard life every day. An average wage is two bucks a day. That's a good wage. It's hard. It's difficult. And it's amazing what they can do with a bicycle. It is absolutely amazing. Um, I ride a bike all the time. But this is an example of what they do in transporting goods from one place to another. Um, long days, uh, hard labor, and... Um, the thing that struck me about this so much was that these people really live such a meager existence. But that meager existence sharpened their appetite for Jesus. The biggest worry Alfred, uh, or one of our nationals, had is that there seems to be a coming abundance most people are fed. And his biggest worry is that abundance will dull their spiritual sense. And that was a personal challenge for me as an American. As we continue to go through um, all this process, there's always these keen reminders, and the next slide will show us. Um, it's wash day, folks. And they're down at the creek. And let me tell you, it ain't clean looking for me. And uh, that was an ay-yay-yay day, you know. It was pretty amazing. Uh, and most folks, that's how they clean their clothes. Um, this next, next slide here is a great example of Arlene's ministry. Because what she's doing, she's giving a scarf out. For the guys, we give out ties. And, you know, this was just, wasn't a trinket. This was a real item of honor for the women and for the men when we would give these out. And it would draw them in in such a way. This was a treasure to them. And that honor that we gave them was so much appreciated. Um, and what that began to do was create relationship. And as I began to see that, that began to change me in relationship and to understand who I'm who am I who are my fellow missionaries fellow believers and certainly my wife that relationship the uh, next slide is just another incredible example you know there's no strollers in Rwanda none that baby is with mom every heartbeat every pulse is felt Relationship awareness is amazing. Um, in the next slide, these are the bicycle guys. And in, in all the cities, they have hundreds of these guys. And somehow I think it's connected to the low life expectancy in the nation. Because I don't know how most of these guys live. If you were there, you would see this scurrying about of motorcycles. And, and we were forbidden to go on a motorcycle. And after driving through traffic, I was more than happy not to go on one. Um, 
It's interesting here in the next slide, you see this, this uh, uh, wonderful lady balancing the bananas. And uh, they have these little rings, and which gives them a little balance. But I, they can go down the road almost at a jog and that, that basket. Now, there's something else that's very notable about those bananas because um, if you didn't know, Pastor Al and I became uh, uh, a singing sensation regarding the bananas. And so at a particular time, I would invite you to ask Pastor Al just what that's all about. The next slide uh, gives you the other byline of the country. It's the land of a thousand smiles. And I kid you not, you feel like a liberator. You drive through the country, you look out, you wave at whoever it is. Their eyes light up, their smiles get big, and they wave back to you. And I'm telling you, it is the coolest thing you can imagine. They love that, and I loved it too. I look forward to driving out in the country. It was, like a, it was like coming back to your kids from being gone for a long time. Um, Workaday world, once again, uh, there's whole crews that do this, uh, what they call the zebra stripe curbs, and, and it's an amazing thing to watch. We have machines. They have lots of people that do these things. And every day is hard work. Um, they pack wood uh, on their heads. Um, once again, uh, agricultural products, corn, bananas. Uh, and then as we continue on uh, the slides here, there's, there's one of my wow moments. Keep going. One more, please. Right there. First day when I was in Rwanda, I went through the uh, Kangali Memorial and they have a children's room. This little guy, uh, we talked soccer. Uh, to them, it's football. And we had a great little conversation. I mean, he really didn't understand anything I was saying, and I really didn't understand anything he was saying, but he had a little soccer emblem. And so, and he followed me around the van, and every time I turned around, there was this little guy. And I, I just wanted to take him home. <laughs> He was, uh, but just seeing that little fella and uh, the relationship uh, that took place. You know, it was amazing because as we continue through these slides, but, you know, using ties, scarves, and gospel tracks, a smile, uh, an eye contact, a handshake, madajo, nitwa uh, Stephen, and the smiles would get big on every one of these individuals. And this, I had the time of my life. I kid you not, I had the time of my life. I, I, I was really reticent. And then watching Arlene was the challenge. And I got out there and I'm thinking, man, this is the f most fun I have had in my life. It was absolutely cool. Um, oh. um, but we're out there in Pastor Peter in this particular area uh, begin to preach the gospel and just to see what took place there um, in, in the one rural square that we were at that we just stopped, jumped out. There was a boys' day out. We went out, and uh, there were uh, that within 15, 20 minutes, we had a crowd. Uh, Pastor Peter preached. We had 14 people saved right off the curb. It just absolutely astounded me. Um, 
And so that really brings to the conclusion of my wows, uh, the, the relationships, what that means, the spiritual hunger for the people uh, that they have for Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you very much. Miracles, finding favor. Now those are not just interesting words. They are words that describe what we actually witness God do in the hearts of the Rwandan people that he gave us opportunity to meet and to do ministry with. But as Pastor Al mentioned, that the multiplication of discipleship is truly going on there. And I, I, we talk about being in the prisons and we wonder just what kind of impact we're having and, and what's changing in the lives of those men who are being trained. I want to share, uh, before I give you my wow moment, I, I want to share uh, the testimony of one prisoner. His name was Jerome, and he came and told us that he had attended one of the crusades I'd done at the central prison. Last year, he came and took the training from Pastor Roger. He's been released now from prison, and he is studying under Pastor Peter and the other Foursquare leadership in Rwanda, and he's training to be a chaplain so that he can go back to that very same prison where he was an inmate as a chaplain. Praise God. So I'm just going to jump right to my wow moment day. There was so many it was hard to pick. Um, when we submitted our iten the itinerary, uh, I had asked to go to Mpanga Prison on a Wednesday. And when we got back the papers from the government, they had flipped our Wednesday and Thursday days of ministry. Never had that happened before. And so we headed out, the women's team, the guys were doing training, the women's team and, and Alfred and Blessing and I, we headed out, never been to this prison, didn't know the warden there, didn't know how many inmates were there, but we had prayed when we got to the gate, they held us up for a while, we prayed that they would let us in, and that we prayed again for the warden that we would find favor. So they finally let us pass. We drove up to the warden's office, got out, walked into the warden's office, and there is my son, Alfred. There's his cousin sitting behind the desk. He didn't know he was the warden there. He didn't know he was even a warden. But, of course, immediately we found favor with him. And so we walked outside, and he says, well, he said, I really got, got to go. He said, uh, Thursday is my day to address the general prison. And he said, the prisoners are already gathered and they're waiting for me. And then he stopped and he said, well, I'll just give you my morning to have your crusade. If we had come on Wednesday, that wouldn't have happened. And so we, we went in and followed him into the prison. We walked up one flight of stairs, went around the corner, walked up a second flight of stairs, And a courtyard opened up and where there were 7,000 prisoners. We were standing seated right in there on that second story. 
When that happened and I saw how many there were, I turned around and I looked at the women's team and I said, you guys better be praying. I've never spoke to that many before. And Kathy said, you are David with five smooth stones and that's Goliath. You can do it. It's an amazing thing when God takes somebody untrained like me and gives me opportunities to rely on his help, his strength, his leading. As I was standing there, we did the introductions, and as soon as we finished the introduction, we heard the, the, we heard the drums, and ten dancers came in, all in traditional Rwandan wear. And they danced, and they danced, and they danced. In fact, as soon as they were done, they sat down right down below us in that open courtyard, and the warden got up and kind of chastised them, to which all of the 7,000 prisoners were laughing. He said, you've never danced for me like that. You dance that way because we have visitors. You must dance for me that way next week. <laughs> but I didn't realize um, when I shared the message that day how God had protected not only my focus and my hearing, but he'd also protected the focus of all of those prisoners. I didn't realize till later, Kathy and Lavinna told me that when I started to preach, directly in front of my eyesight across that courtyard, there was some, a prisoner that began screaming and hollering and was very evident that he was demon-possessed. And they began to pray as soon as they heard it. I did not hear it. I did not see it. The prisoners never turned around and looked at this other prisoner and some of the surrounding prisoners that were right around him got him out of the got, got him out of the area. But I preached the message that the Holy Spirit had given me. And when I gave the invitation, the best way I can describe it is it was as if we almost saw the breath of the Holy Spirit go oh, as immediately 6,500 hands went up. There wasn't any hesitation. Nobody looked at anybody else. It was immediate. And I can't tell you what it feels like to your heart and your spirit as you hear that many murderers saying, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. But you see, that was 6,500. But God is concerned about more and more. Later that same afternoon when we were given permission to have a women's conference, Kathy in her lesson shared the gospel. And seven women accepted Christ. And as she was sharing, I saw the head of security, Clarence, come up and sit in the back. And we had some women guards there, but he came and he sat. And I thought, well, if we have time and we do any discussion, the women are not going to engage because he's sitting there. And so I thought, well, I'll walk. As Lavinna began to give her testimony, I excused myself and walked around and was going to walk up to him and ask him if it would be possible for him to, to leave us with the women and the guards, you know, because it was a women's meeting. But as I started to walk up to him, before I could say anything, he said, so, in very good English, so, tell me, is salvation just for women? He had heard Kathy. And I said, oh, 
let's go over right over here and talk so that we're not disrupting the women. And I said, we'll talk about who salvation's for. And God gave me the privilege of hearing Clarence ask Jesus to be a savior. 6,500 and seven and one. Thank you, Jesus. So we saw, we found favor and saw God do miracles every day. That included the souls that came to Jesus Christ on this trip, and that was 14,732. There were 775 who made decisions to forgive their enemies. We distributed 5,450 Bibles and discipleship booklets. A total of 152 spiritual leaders were trained. And we handed out to men and women hundreds of scarves, ties, and shopping bags. You are a partner with what IRM is doing in Rwanda. Thank you for your prayers, your generous financial gifts, for the scarves, ties, and shopping bags you donate. Thank you, partners. Thank you. Wow, 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 and wow again. Well, I know we're going a bit late here tonight, and I thank you for your patience to, to hear us out. and. Uh, we just really wanted to share with you the fruit of these labors because every one of you here um, were partners with us. Arlene could not have gone had you not given uh, the funds that it takes to take a team like this. Uh, you were primarily responsible for most of those 5,450 Bibles. And so we just want to say thank you, humbly say thank you to you because doesn't matter if you go. You're part of this team. We were so conscious and aware of the fact that people were praying, keeping us healthy. You could not imagine the eating conditions and food and places where we ate. It was amazing that we didn't get sick. Uh, but God kept us healthy and strong. And I know we felt your prayers the entire time. So I just want to say thank you and um, and I, I'm hoping this too can be a challenge. If a woman that is in her late 60s can get on a plane and fly halfway around the world, you know, she's not anything special, but she just said yes to the Lord many years ago, and God continues to open these doors for her, and she just keeps walking through. Scares me to death. But, you know, God has been so faithful and gracious to her to be able to do this. So I just want to publicly thank you, Arlene, for your faith and your courage. She was a tremendous leader. She was so overly conscientious in her planning. It was unbelievable. Uh, everything from water to transportation to where we would sleep at night. It was just amazing to watch this woman function in God's grace and anointing. And, and God raised us up to meet that challenge. But we know that you are partners in that with us, and we are so thankful and appreciative to you. Um, we're still praying about what to do next year. Uh, 
things are changing in Rwanda, and as long as the door stays open, we're trusting God to help us walk through that, but we don't know at this point in time what that process will be, so we'll keep you posted. Um, I know it's late, but I think there's one more person that you need to hear from, and this is the man, Alfred Mpenzi, who is involved with the mission in Rwanda, a dear brother. I love him in the Lord, and uh, he has some closing comments that I think we'll appreciate hearing. First of all, for those who do not know me, I'm Alfred Mpenzi, the Operations Supervisor for International Conservation Ministries. And this time around, we have had an incredible moment with an incredible team. The team has been a big blessing. We have seen the team minister to Rwandans of all categories. We have seen the team minister in villages. We have seen the team dine and wine together with community people, celebrating, dancing. And we have seen amazing work being done in TIG camps and prisons. And so this cannot go unnoticed. I just want to say, Thank you very much, because this has never been before, I should say. It has been one of its kind, just because in some instances, we didn't know what is coming up, as opposed to how things were done in the past. In the past, you'd find that you have an itinerary well laid and for sure there. But this time around, God made an itinerary for the team. So it's an, an amazing experience. In fact, I have team, I have just termed the team as a team of warriors. We stormed the office together. We went to the warden's office. We went to Commissioner General of Police, Commissioner General of Prisons Office. And we have seen the Executive Secretary of TIG camps being stormed in the office and he receives us in an overwhelming way. So that's why I define the team as a team of warriors. Mm. And therefore, I will just send you back and tell your colleagues back in the church that they did a wonderful job. Mm. They prayed for us and I've seen God do an amazing work. Mm. And for sure, we shall keep you in our prayers that God will continue to guide you, direct you, and reveal to you of what next plan should be on. I'm grateful to you all. And greetings to all our brethren back in Oregon. Tell them that we love them, and we shall continue to pray for them. Would you stand with me tonight? Let's stand together. After the service, we're going to have care team members up front, and I just felt to say this, you know, in Rwanda, the sins of people are obvious. People there know they're, they're sinners, they, they, they need God's forgiveness, it's out there, it's plain. But I just want to say, we're no different than them. We need that same saving grace, and so if you don't know Christ as your Savior, just come forward and tell someone up front, I, I just love to receive Jesus, I, I need God's forgiveness as well. And they would be glad to lead you in a prayer of commitment and a prayer of salvation. 
For those of you, and I know most of you do know the Lord as your Savior, I want to challenge you. The making of disciples is not just for people who go. Every one of you has been called to the Great Commission. You either go, you either pray, or you either pay, or you can do all three. But we all need to be doing something. Jesus is coming back soon, and there's a lot of people in this world that don't know him yet. So I would just ask you, challenge you to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to respond? Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this incredible time that we've shared together, for this report that's been given. And Lord, we give all the glory and all the honor to you because we recognize this was your doing, that you arranged things we could never have foreseen. You made plans when we knew, didn't even know how to make the plans. You closed doors that should have never been opened, and you opened doors that we didn't even know existed. So we thank you tonight as a congregation, as a church family, for the amazing grace and love you gave us for these people so far away. Thank you for the challenge for each one of us to go and make disciples in your name. Together we say amen. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Thank you.